Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Matt. I am Pete, and I am still Iron Man. And I just want to let you know that today's podcast on Iron Man 2 is brought to you by the good people at Hammer Industries. Make sure you stop by the Stark Expo and check out their uh, cardboard kiosk. And Pete, I actually have a great little, uh, I don't know if you can hear, a great little little keychain that I got there from the uh, those great people at Hammer. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, as you said, here we are talking about Iron Man 2 as we count down to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hitting the airwaves. It is finally September, Pete. We're, uh, we're that much closer. Let's see, by my math, one, two, is it uh, three weeks away? And Just about. It's, it's going by fast. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a good ride, hopefully. Looking forward to it. And, you know, we know all the buzz. Uh, it remains to be seen whether ABC might choose to make what you and I think uh, agree is the decision to not put it online, knowing that they really want to build up uh, their schedule. Uh, other shows we've done in the past, there's been the decision to put it online ahead of time. We're thinking it's going to come down to uh, that day, Tuesday, September 24th, that uh, most of the population will see it. We're not privileged like a, a few who have seen it already. Yeah, and I, I think to specify for our listeners, you're talking about the the legal posting of it online as some shows yes, uh, of course. Some shows have done where I guess to kind of to, to build buzz, I don't quite understand how – I mean, I understand how buzz could be built, but I really think that um, I think that ABC has taken the point of view that showing the uh, showing the pilot in its entirety or supposed entirety. I have a completely unfounded theory on that in a second, but showing it at San Diego Comic-Con and then again at D23, I think to them, they put it in front of the most rabid, the most uh, talking fans, you know, social media oriented fans i think they're gonna let that do the talking and um you know as opposed to some sort of well let's get it out there so everybody can 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 see it i really think that uh with this show abc is dedicated towards trying to get that return towards true appointment viewing uh you know true uh whether it's live tweet whether it's having that water cooler discussion in the morning whatever it is they really really want to get there I wonder if they're almost uh, strengthened by shows like The Walking Dead, where they know that you can get, you know, 10, 15 million viewers. Um, actually, I don't know that Walking Dead is quite as high as, as 15, but you can get over that 10 million viewer mark with everybody watching same night. Um, I really, really think that that's, that that's their hope, Pete. Oh, I would completely agree. And, you know, this is clearly at the forefront of their schedule for this year. So... You know, we're saying maybe three weeks, you know, we, we could stop back in here 10 days having, you know, seen the pilot if it turns up again, of course, officially online. Spoiler Pete, don't roll with, uh, you know, bootleg TV show footage online. Spoiler Pete might be a, a ruffian, but he ain't no pirate. He ain't no pirate. He has two eyes, not an eye patch. Although as a side note, I'm reminded of our discussion on our star trek essentials podcast where we talked about watching the uh first nine minutes of uh star trek in the darkness through 
because somebody, you know, when it was on. That's uh, completely different, man. Apples and bowling balls, Matt. TV show, movie, movie based on a TV show. There's all sorts of different rules that uh, that apply there. <laughs> yes, and if there's one thing that we can be sure about, it's the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is in no way based on, uh, you know, it's in no way a TV show based on a movie or uh, movie based on a TV show based on a comic book. None of that stuff. It's all it's all brand new, baby. So, yeah, Iron Man 2. <laughs> well, let me just quickly share a theory. My theory is this, and I've read nothing about this, completely unfounded. But my theory is that um, if there's going to be some sort of um, really wow scene in terms of a cameo from one of the A-listers from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, no offense, Colby Smulders, um, I, I wonder if they have maybe held that back from from the two airings at San Diego Comic-Con and, and D23. Uh, just throwing it out there as a you know as a half baked theory, and uh, with that, Pete, should we now head into Iron Man two? Yeah, so let's debrief this bad boy. Um, really, and I I struggle to come up with other than a redundant phrase. This is phase two of Marvel Phase one, if you will. Um, this, this is really, uh, you know, all right, we get a familiar character back in a sequel for the first time in this Marvel cinematic universe, um, you know, jumping ahead to the after credit footage. It's the, um, you know, the intro of Thor and the hammer there out in New Mexico, which is teased throughout this film. And this was, the clearly and each one of them tended to have a little bit of this quality, but this was the most important film uh, to date in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, Hulk, we we looked at last time, Incredible Hulk uh, certainly didn't carry importance. And, you know, it's it's failure or success did not carry the franchise. If this was a financial failure, we're not talking right now, Matt. Um, and it was very clearly a financial success. You look at its numbers, uh, you're talking about $623 million in terms of uh, box office worldwide on this film for a movie that has its moments, but I think we will both agree today as a cogent whole is unsuccessful. Yeah, I certainly agree, and I think that it's it's ultimately a movie that groans under the weight of of trying to live up to not just the the first iron man movie but it's it's groaning under the weight of trying to live up to that post credit sequence from iron man 1 it's really trying to uh to to spell out this larger marvel cinematic universe yes we have references to stark and and uh captain america in the incredible hulk but here they have, as this movie is being made, they have the initiative to continue with this big plan. And I feel like the story of Tony Stark versus an okay villain. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, you know, g- given that there's Tony Stark and Iron Man, not that they're two separate characters, but that it's kind of two separate bits of screen time there. To, to have a villain who can compete with both, it's a little tough. I'm sympathetic to that. But... You then add more Nick Fury. You then add the introduction of uh, of uh, Natasha Romanoff, right. the, the 
Black uh, Widow. Indeed, the, the Black Widow, the lovely Scarlett Johansson. Um, I find I'm tripping over my my words. I'm so uh, bewitched by her beauty. Um, <laughs> the amusing but somewhat distracting in and out presence of Coulson. He's got to go do something somewhere. What is it? Ooh, you know, are you are you keeping track? This is what you know. We nerds are supposed to be keeping track. Um, and and not to interrupt, but quick side note, like. If this is how he's used in the show, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> I have every confidence that Colson oh, will be. be. I, I do too. I'm just I'm throwing the ca- <clears throat> the caveat out there of this is textbook how not to use him. Right. You know, um, it had been a while since I had seen Iron Man, uh, the original. Went back and watched it, and you know, couldn't believe in retrospect how much he was in it. Um. And yeah, this yeah. with the constant and and clearly they they shove you know his because um, he's connected to Romanoff um, you know they shove his his presence and and his uh, you know responsibilities more so on her so we get that but you know you got to look at this as a template of how not to use that character actor now on the small screen where he's going to get a significantly larger role i would say another area too where the movie doesn't quite live up and it's not quite a a marvel cinematic universe issue you know they kind of they they deal with you know tony stark's life of excess and specifically his drinking uh which certainly harkens back to the demon in a bottle story arc from uh from the 1970s in the, the iron man uh comics and i feel like they never quite fully commit and i understand there almost certainly was pressure from the studio that you don't want to kill the the golden goose by turning this into you know leaving las vegas you know the comic book um and you don't want to kind of take him down too low but to kind of be a mild alcoholic to kind of be uh somewhat irresponsible like maybe you shouldn't be ceo but you could maybe like maybe you're like enough of a drunk to run a non-profit like that's kind of where they're and they're not kind of as flippant as i'm being but you know it kind of doesn't live up to um you know the horrors of the illness that uh that, that that nine issue uh story arc did so they kind of don't fully commit to that either so kind of the the human part of the story is a little, um, you know, not quite executed fully. No. And, you know, I, I did want to lead with, you know, what worked and then we could get to what didn't. Um, but just touching upon the the alcoholism. And I remember, you know, I this is one of the Marvel movies I did not see in theaters. I saw this on Netflix when it hit. Um, and I just remember watching it in the you know four or five month run up to the avengers coming and being like man this did well in theaters how and why you know those moments of him you know uh getting sussed and wrecking his um his place in malibu and i was just like man this this must have read much differently than you know what came out of the editing room because it's uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. I think too, I mean, talking about uncomfortable to watch, there's, there's a weird, um, there's a weird use of Howard Stark. Like it's kind of like you're, it's a, 
I think they aimed for um, they aimed for kind of you know the the ghost of Hamlet's father by right. way of Howard Stark returning uh, with the the film footage. Um, I don't know, just that too kind of doesn't click. And like, luckily the blueprints are the magic answer. There's a little bit of a, 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 a of that as well. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if they if they made the movie too quickly. Like, hey, Iron Man's a hit. Quick green light. We need something in in uh, two years time. Um, which indeed it was. It was two years right. time, which strikes me as awful, awful fast. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I I know we don't want to kind of dump on the movie excessively, but I think that we are fairly representing some concerns that that most viewers would have. Listen, that's the uh, the PH geek uh, hallmark. Um, back to what worked here, or to what works for the first time. Um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, being Tony Stark and Iron Man as he is, and particularly the swagger early on, even in the throes of his, uh, his palladium overdose or however you want to term it, you know, jumping out of the, uh, the plane, arriving at the expo, great scene down in, uh, Washington, DC. They pull Gary Shandling in there. Um, you know, the, the witty banter, the repartee is, um, excellent. And, um, you know, at the top of my list of, of what works. How about you, Matt? I, I certainly agree. Uh, I mean, not that Chandling is a, is a huge part of the movie. I would have liked to see him back either, if only for one scene in Avengers or in Iron Man 3. Just a little, just a little continuity there. Um, I think, I mean, it was nice to see someone so capable in, in a part that was on the smaller end. Um I don't know that we've mentioned Don Cheadle thus far. I mean, certainly we have discussed, you know, his, his replace or, you know, the replacement of uh, Terrence Howard. And, you know, I think we all, we all really enjoy Don Cheadle. Um, he's a, he's a great addition. Um, I think another, another positive for the movie is kind of the continued growth between uh, Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. Um, it's tremendously believable. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow is so, so likable. And um, while we're talking casting, I mean, uh, Sam Rockwell as Hammer, he's also just, Sam Rockwell just has this ability to be simultaneously um, authoritative and you want to trust him, but you're also, you don't. Unctuous. Um, indeed. Ooh, wow. Pete going, uh, going deep in the thesaurus there. <laughs> One name we haven't mentioned this entire time, Pete, is somebody who uh, appears in perhaps the the first new footage of the movie. You know, the movie starts with the I Am Iron Man um, press conference, and then we we move to Russia. Pete, why have we not talked about Mickey Rourke uh, before, uh, you know, 15 minutes into the podcast? Are you talking about character who come into movie and no actor know no much about computers? He have to know about computers. Indeed. It, listen, <laughs> I applaud the casting, and he was riding high coming off what I think is one of the most um, underappreciated films of you know the first decade of the twenty first century in the wrestler. But man, it just never lines up. Um, 
and and I so wanted it to, and I I think that the audience wants it to, um, but it, it it's interesting that in a film based on a comic book that a guy can come across like a cartoon yeah and it fail but he is a total cartoon character um his motivation is paper thin and it's it's really bad (laughs) i understand that it was his idea to have tattoos and gold teeth and the bird. And I don't know if any of those are necessarily additions, like from an, from an actor's point of view, I get it, you know, like, you know, to look at yourself in the mirror as you head to set and you got these tattoos and the teeth and you're going to go, you know, hit the, hit the bird, you know, cage on the way to, to the sound stage and how you must just feel like you're putting on this different person who's weird and, and, and whatnot. But for me as a viewer or for John Favreau as a director who who is trying to direct all these, you know, litany of people, I'm sure the the carpenters would love it if the entire movie was just, you know, fantastic sets with no actors kind of getting in the way. Everybody has their own motivation. And I feel like in that process, I didn't need somebody who was so delightfully eccentric and, you know, with the, the hair and Russian, you know, speaking Russian. And there's just kind of there's more there to him than there need be. And that's saying a lot for a movie where Tony Stark as a personality is so, is so larger than life. And you have the larger than life surprise that, you know, Tony Stark's assistant that actually works for shield. And now, uh, Don Cheadle is running around in the second suit and on and on and on and on. Um, well, it's the classic example of a casting coup to the point where they just bend over backwards and really kind of let a lot of stuff go. Like, Oh, this guy, you know, he knows what he's doing. All right. He doesn't want to be one dimensional and he's, he's trying to get into the character when it only comes across one dimensionally. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It comes across as a one dimensional comic book character in a movie, otherwise populated by some, some large personalities but personalities that feel real nonetheless. Of all of the Marvel cinematic um, characters we've seen and have their own films to this point, um, Iron Man is always the one, and because there's been three of them too, it, it feels the closest to our world in terms of possibility. Yeah. Not to say that, all right, we're going to have people floating around and, and everything there, but particularly in this film with the um, really the full um, embracement of the dronification of the United States military. And, you know, there's some, some real actual discussion happening in this film by way of narrative. Um, At the same time, you have that comic booky type thing and it, it never gels in this film. Yeah, you know, uh, during the course of our, our uh, discussion on the first Iron Man movie, uh, I think we were both surprised at how uh, how well that movie from 2008 speaks to some of the, the ongoing, uh, you know, military concerns, military-industrial complex concerns that we still have today. Here yep. you have a movie that takes those concerns and... Um, in its you know fanciful uh, kind of you know slight science fiction edge with the technology propels it 
almost closer to to the reality you know it, it, there's a science fiction version that uh is is closer to what we're dealing with now as you say with drones and whatnot um and you think it would be the better for it but it isn't it, it isn't quite it, there's just this is an entire movie where things don't quite click it's that you know it's when you're riding been riding your bike for for many months and left it out in the rain a couple of times and you try and shift gears and you hear it click 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 and you, you look down and you see it's it's trying to click over but it just it just doesn't quite do it <laughs> it's not broken it's just click 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 the set pieces in this film you know between the the assault on you know tony stark riding the formula 1 car um in monaco and the larger uh, Stark Expo, you know, drone battle at the end, you know, there, there's good and bad, but it's weighed down by by more bad. Yeah. And I know this is quite low on the list here, but um, do you, Pete, do you know the story surrounding DJ AM and this movie? Uh, no, but um, enlighten me. DJ AM was, you know, uh, RIP, right? What's that? RIP, right? Well, he he appears in a cameo. Uh, it's actually in Stark's mansion where uh, Stark is uh, is drunk. He's yeah. actually in the background. It says DJ AM, but between the filming and the 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 release of the movie, he had uh, he had passed away. So there's this weird. Not that you know, I'm not quite the uh, hip hop and R and B fan that you are, Pete, but. <laughs> In this, in this, um, I knew enough about the goings on and the fact I, I knew enough of the story that, through no fault of the film, mind you, I mean, what are they, well, through no fault of the film, there you have what's you know what the film is trying to make as a critical moment. Look, Stark is now too drunk; he's in too too much excess, um, and it's just like meanwhile in the background, it's like, oh, there's DJ AM; he's dead. Um, Again, I, I mean, I suppose they out could, of the movie. it did take me out of the movie. Could they have gone to the trouble of, you know, all right, well, now we're going to digitally, you know, black out the sign that says DJ AM. All right. Then you get into a whole discussion about is that appropriate? Blah, 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 blah. It, again, it's not the fault of the movie The you know, the guy uh, apparently, you know, had a self-induced uh, drug overdose and whatnot. But it did definitely take me out of the movie at this critical you know, demon in a bottle moment. It's just like, oh, look, there's somebody who really had problems. Unlike you know, unlike this movie that you know is kind of pretend stuff. Um, well, let's get into our dossier here. Let's talk about these uh, bad guys <clears throat> in some larger strokes. We've touched on them already. Again, kind of a two tier. Um, type of setup you have uh you know justin hammer um played again with that uh slickness um by god uh rockwell by sam rockwell and then you have uh vonko it's yvonne or was that the father it was yvonne vonko it was yvonne vonko the father is anton yes the father was anton and uh uh, played by uh, Mickey Rourke here. Let, let's again. Let's let's dress good, man. Let's start with Rockwell. Let's start with uh, Justin Hammer. He just he captures. And look, I'm not some you know titan of industry, nor am I some sort of uh, you know 
business Give yourself insider. Some credit, man. Well, uh, I'm uh, I'm a titan of the podcasting industry, but uh, the podcasting industry, relative to other things such as you know weapons manufacturing, isn't quite as uh, quite as prominent. But he just kind of um, Rockwell's able to imbue Justin Hammer just with this wonderful. Um, like I, I really feel like I would, you know, if 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 this guy was my boss, I would follow him um, on whatever crazy project he was proposing, only to look back later and go, "This was crazy BS the entire time. How did I do that? How did I allow things to get this far?" Um, it, it's it, it's a very very good performance, particularly somebody who's being put up as the the temporary bad guy you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. like you know he's he's the he's the um villain of let's say you know act one and part of act two he's the one that's really driving driving the the conflict in the story so given that it's not you know the most plum of of parts for the movie he does he does a wonderful job nonetheless and that's i think the thing that you come around to with uh vonko played by Mickey Rourke, who's, you know, a mishmash of a number of other, um, you know, comic characters, be they Whiplash or Crimson Dynamo. And there's been other suggestions that he's, you know, playing other characters. You know, you look at that and you're like, man, get me some more Sam Rockwell here. And the story just doesn't call for it. The story calls for somebody with physicality. And that's not what um, Justin Hammer gives you, you know, he's the, the super villainy type, but again, you know, round peg in a square hole. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well said. Uh, it's, as I said, it's a weird, it's a slightly weird part and that's nothing against Rockwell. It's just, it's a slightly, you, you you get all the, that you're going to get from him when you first meet him, which mm-hmm. is I think speaks more to the to the script than the uh, you know than the acting. You know he's the anti Stark, and you know it, it's a good way to put it. You you kind of wonder back and think you know all right could this be to to mix my you know comic houses for a minute? Could this be played like? as it's written in the um in the comics you know that he could be more lex lutherish to you know um stark's supermanish type of character and obviously you know it's a generality but i would have liked to see a little bit more of a battle of wills um and and wits as it were but you know when you talk about Mickey Rourke and what he gives you in the physicality of the role, it works. And the commitment that he shows in terms of doing it. And, you know, this was a guy who prior to being nominated for best actor, um, you know, was really on his last legs. He tells a a great story. It's not a great story in terms of, wow, that's great. Um, but just a very compelling story where he was in his closet um, contemplating suicide and his dogs were with him. And what brought him out of his funk was, you know, if I take my life, what's going to happen to them? So clearly the inclusion of the pet cockatoo is really, um, you know, 
an allusion to animals importance in this guy's life, but man, it, 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 you know, the whole thing in, in prepping for this reading about how he knew nothing about computers. And, you know, he said that was the biggest, uh, obstacle in this role. So, Hey, writer, man, guy on the set, can we change that? Can he suddenly have a Russian sidekick who kind of handles that, um, you know, aspect? It's just, it, it, it's, it's lead eared his, his dialogue and, you know, every scene he's in, you know, you never get the menace that we're, I, I think, designed to get. And, you know, it's, it's, Similar to The Incredible Hulk in that this is a movie whose flavor and taste um, had to compete with the first Iron Man and then now has to compete with everything that's come after it. Because, you know, you speak of menace and you think of Iron Man 3, not to, not to you know, turn this into the Iron Man 3 podcast, but you think of how, how um, effective the, the Mandarin or, you know, the supposed Mandarin uh is early on seeing that seeing that you know the video footage of him and and, and the, the eloquent speaking style that ben kingsley brings to it which side note i have to wonder if that one at least uh possibly uh get him a, a best supporting actor nomination probably a, a a long shot but it was an excellent performance that sort of menace and then the menace that you see go towards the the guy pierce character in that movie the as the actual menace um and you don't quite see it here. You just, it's just not, once again, it's just something that isn't quite gelling for this movie. No. And you know, that I think leads to a, a, a mishmash of a, of a third act. And really the, the ultimate bad guy winds up being, you know, all these, uh, you know, robots that this guy has, has programmed. So it's, it's by extension because, you know, when, when Cheadle, when Rhodey and, uh, and Iron Man there get together and do it, you know, again, it's, it's this action scene that's supposed to look very pretty by juxtaposition, you know, the violence of what it is and the beauty of where it's taken place. But it, again, just, yeah, sputters out. By the way, speaking of that scene and kind of returning to to some of the positives for the movie, there's a there's a picture um, there's a picture that you can find online. I know it's on the Wikipedia page, which is sourced from some sort of uh, kind of Hollywood Insider special effects um, uh, posting. Um, I had read even going back to the first Iron Man movie. Oh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. actually rarely wears the complete suit. Oh, for uh, for Avengers, he never wore the complete suit, not even once. You know that how it's mostly computer generated. I was like, okay, I kind of understand what you're saying. Like sometimes he'll wear, you know, like just from the chest up or whatever. And you look at this picture, which is basically, um, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. in. Uh, a, a, a like a red lycra shirt that has kind of black and white squares and circles on it, uh, almost kind of like a like a chest belt and suspenders, almost, and then something, or at least in the picture, something around uh, the maybe the bicep area. 
Uh, he's got the tiniest bit of helmet on, like a chin piece and and um, a little bit above the eyebrows. Uh, in the picture, Don Cheadle is there as well, there as well, wearing basically a gray version of everything I just described. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of just look like two guys that are slightly slump-shouldered and slightly, maybe they just got back from some sort of weird run with these straps on them you don't quite get it and then in the final version it's these wonderfully immaculate suits like i had no idea that they were doing on-set 3d motion capture over which later they put a fully digital suit i never really spent much time thinking about it but when i saw that today i was kind of like all right i can see how they did that and listen, the, the the special effects are largely something that works in this film and so important to this universe to begin with. Um, one thing that struck me when I watched this film was the amount of filming they must do in the little black booth that is to be them inside the suit. <laughs> yeah. Just seems like, wow, you know, they're they're in there a lot. <laughs> Hey, at least um, the, the flip side is once they have the lighting right, it's up to you. If you know your lines, man, you could probably blast through everything that needs to be shot in there between breakfast and lunch. Just go through. Oh, look out. Whoa, whoa. Oh, I'm losing power. Are you, Jarvis, <laughs> more increased rocket speed. You could probably just do that. It's entirely You possible. get it right, you're done in a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. It could lead to a quick turnaround, at least from, from that regard. Um Let's talk about uh, where we are in the larger um, uh, universe for uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in our level seven theories analysis here, Matt. So what kind of repercussions do you think um, S.H.I.E.L.D. has as a result of the effects, the events in this film that carry over to our show coming on? Uh, September 24th. Well, I mean, certainly you have a better understanding of the way S.H.I.E.L.D. works, whereas in the first Iron Man movie, S.H.I.E.L.D. was basically the the yappy dog uh, trying to just get a little FaceTime with Tony Stark. Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. basically getting a glorified geek reference in uh, Incredible Hulk. Here, you have Nick Fury. You have uh, the the busy doing something question mark thor right. uh colson in and out you have the the reveal that hey that lovely assistant natalie rushman is herself an undercover spy uh, you know with super duper karate ninja boxing uh <laughs> abilities you know so on and so forth you know this is kind of the movie to almost sell shield as a thing in this right. universe and um if it didn't get the big push off here, do you have it? It, the it being Shield. Do you, do you have Shield being a big enough thing to get to a TV show? Uh, what three years later? Yeah, absolutely not. Three and a half uh, years later. I mean, that's that's pretty astonishing. Yeah, and I think you know there's certainly enough here that you know Shield is a, an evolving presence throughout the course of these films. Um but that they really get the jump off here and 
you know, between what we see in the following films and then what we've gotten in the really not necessary to watch, but, you know, um, helpful enough uh, Marvel one shots, you know, continuing to get at their universe. I mean, listen, the the universe of that show is going to be what they make of it, but they have enough to pick up on that's been teased out in these films and really you know this is the one that peels back the curtain on it yeah and it's also one that i think um the fact that colson is in and out we kind of keep getting we keep getting delivered colson then taken away it's kind of this it's this nagging you know oh can't colson just hang around for all these scenes you know i was gonna say did you just were you gonna go there can he just die already oh no 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 (laughs) it's 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 can't he stay like kind of our appreciation for colson is 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 something that has uh from the first you know in the two years between iron man one and iron man two our our appreciation for colson on rewatch and and all that has has increased and then the fact that it's he's going off to do something that I know sounds awful important. Maybe it has to do with that next movie. Maybe there's something in the credits afterward. You know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, it it kind of speaks to our our appreciation of Coulson. And I, I don't know. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I, we're we're in level seven here. We're talking about uh, the, the super secret uh, shield stuff. The fact that the movie, albeit in its uh, in its secret scene at the end, which by you know by this point we know to watch out for them in Marvel movies, the fact that the movie essentially ends with Coulson um, only builds him up even more. You know, he's he's the us. He wants to find out more about this hammer in the desert, and darn it, so do we. Yeah, and I think you know the whole thing of Fury and Coulson and black widow and you know again just expanding their roster of characters and it remains to be seen whether we're going to get you know scarlett johansson and samuel jackson to ultimately participate in the show but if it becomes a big enough hit you know it's kind of like how does the inertia of the show and those characters how do they avoid one another Um, and I think it all comes back to the way that they're brought into this film. And again, the, the moments that really work and that tease, you know, a much larger, more involved yet at the same time, secretive universe that not everybody needs to know about. And that, that, uh, you know, which side of the need to know line that's, uh, you know, that. You want to be in the know. You want to, you know, not uh, not in the dark. And uh, right, it's delicious some... in terms of its execution. And uh, you know, again, the only way I can phrase it is is really to tease, is to appetize <clears throat> what it is they're dealing with. Um, you know, the the catchphrase for Agents of Shield that we're repeatedly seeing is, "Well, not all um, not all heroes are super." Um, and I have a little bit of a, of a quibble with that because when I think you, you talk about um, Agent Coulson, while he's not a superhero, he does not, that we know of, you know, post-resurrection uh, here, have any kind of superpowers. I, I disagree. This guy has shown he's able to, you know, 
uh, work on this highest of levels within a government agency. And again, I think it's a quibble, but, you know, um, it, it all started, I should say, it all really was uh, brought out for the first time in full force in this film. Well said, Pete. Well said. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some decrypted transmissions, Matt. What do we got? Well, Pete, I will say <laughs> somewhat not uh, not uh, surprisingly, we did not get a ton of, uh, of uh, decrypted transmissions about Iron Man 2. However, we already have some for next week's episode. All the, all the more proof that you can say hello to us on Twitter at Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. You can leave a comment on the webpage, fantasticgeek.com. And of course, you can send us an email, fantasticgeek at gmail.com. It, it, it's great that we're already starting to hear from some people. And uh, we look forward to, uh, as I said, Pete, we already have stuff to share for next week with uh, the, the somewhat better movie compared to Iron Man 2. Yes, I do not fault people at all for not having anything to say about what pound for pound is the worst film in uh, this franchise and in this overall uh, cinematic universe. And again, it's not awful. Iron Man Two is not unwatchable. No, man, it's it. it listen, it's like it's like pizza. You know, even bad pizza is is going to be edible. Okay. Um, but you know, you get the nice coal fire pizza place that uses, you know, uh, fresh toppings. And then you get the, the place around the corner that has an Italian name and it's ragu and, you know, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> canned, uh, canned vegetables and, and, and stuff. And, and you can tell the difference. And this is somewhere in between. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Pete, speaking of that, uh, special foreign artisan made pizza, <laughs> Maybe that's not the most uh, triumphant of transitions. But Pete, what is next week? Next week, we are going to be taking a look at a huge departure uh, for this universe uh, in the film of Thor. I'm certainly excited, you know, to to return to Asgard shall be wonderful indeed. Yes. And, you know, with the sequel around the corner, um, and again, I can't help but draw a lot of comparisons between the Marvel Universe and the Star Trek Universe. Um, you know, they, they would routinely use uh, their, you know, hour a week to really kind of build up, uh, you know, or tease out some aspects of a coming film. You know, got to wonder with Thor 2 around the corner here, what kind of uh, hints or references may be dropped in the early weeks of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., given uh, Thor's involvement in the upcoming months in, in theaters. Well, we're only a couple weeks away from, uh, from that first nibble, so I am excited. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our audience members, and I will await your, your fantastic conclusion to this week's episode about Iron Man 2. I'm still Iron Man. Sweetie.